Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, where legends share legendary stories. This episode, In the Locker Room with R.C. Slocum, we take a look into the life and career of legendary Texas A&M football coach R.C. Slocum. This episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast is brought to you by the Town Place Suites, Waco Northeast. Come visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco, and when you do, book your stay at the Town Place Suites, Waco Northeast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by the Town Place Suites, Waco Northeast. I'm Jackson Michael, author of The Game Before the Money, and also writer-director of We Were the Oilers, the Love You Blue era. We've got a really great episode on tap for you with Texas A&M head football coach R.C. Slocum. Coach Slocum was the head coach at Texas A&M for 14 seasons from 1989 through 2002, and not once did he endure a losing season. He has 123 head coaching wins at A&M, which puts him in first place in school history by a wide margin. His teams won three straight Southwest Conference titles from 1991 through 1993, and he led the Aggies to a win over Kansas State in the 1998 Big 12 Championship game. The Aggies also stormed undefeated through conference play in four consecutive seasons under Coach Slocum. He's also responsible for putting together Texas A&M's famous wrecking crew defense. Before he became head coach at A&M, he worked for the Aggies as an assistant coach for all but one season between 1972 and 1988. And of Southwest Conference coaches who coached more than 30 games, R.C. Slocum is the only head coach in Southwest Conference football history to post a career conference winning percentage of over 800. R.C. Slocum grew up in Orange, Texas, and he tells us about what the town was like in his early days. I grew up in Orange as kind of a, what I'd call a working class uh, community, dominated by shipyards, chemical plants. You know, most of the kids I grew up with, their families, a large percentage of them were involved in some way in those industries. It was a good place. It was a good community. We were about, I think, 25,000 or so, 27,000 when I was in school. Slocum credits his early football coaches with setting him on his own career path into coaching. He adds that one of those coaches encouraged him to play football when Slocum didn't even know much about the game. People have often asked me that. How'd you get into coaching? I said, man... My coaches had such an impact. I was a poor little kid throwing newspapers and kicking around shining shoes. And in the seventh grade, a coach named Frank Motes put his arm around me and said, how come you're not out for football? I said, well, I don't know. I, I just never have played. My dad doesn't know anything about it, never played. And he said, you ought to come out. I think you could play. And so I've often wondered what my life would have been like had it not been for Coach Frank Motes. Slocum also had another junior high coach named Bob Woodruff. He stays in touch with both men, who both later became school superintendents. 
Slocum also speaks highly of his high school head coach, Ted Jeffries. My high school coach was a guy named Ted Jeffries, who was at the first meeting of the Texas High School Coaches Association as a Hall of Fame coach. Won the state championship at Wichita Falls High Saturday, December the 6th, 1941. Sunday, the Pearl Harbor thing happened, and then on Monday, he and his seniors went out and signed up for the draft. And so I was so fortunate to play for him. He later coached at Stephen F. Austin and coached Bum Phillips there and Spike Dykes. And uh, so I was around some really good coaches. If you're a regular listener to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, you've heard about the Golden Triangle of high school football on the Jerry Levias and the Thursday Night Lights episodes. Coach Slocum tells us about his experience playing high school football in the Triangle. Sports were big. They have an area down there called the Golden Triangle, Beaumont, Port Arthur, and Orange. And those rivalries were heated rivalries. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was at Port Arthur. He was a year or so ahead of me. Kind of interesting, Jimmy and I both were inducted in the College Football Hall of Fame in the same class, and we grew up playing football there uh, 10 miles apart, I guess. His dad was a plant worker, as mine was. You had guys that worked at the plant in Orange that lived in Port Natchez or Port Arthur or Beaumont, and then you had guys working in Beaumont that lived in Orange and, and vice versa. So those Friday night matchups, when Orange played Port Natchez or Orange played Port Arthur or South Park in Beaumont or Beaumont High, uh, those were heated games, you know, because those guys would go out you know, to the plants and talk all week about the upcoming game, and then you talked about the results for weeks after that. He says there was a lot of great talent on his high school football team, and he points out that many of his teammates gained the attention of college scouts and that may have helped him get his own scholarship opportunities. And I played on a really good high school team, and I, I probably got some attention because of the other guys. We had a high school All-American quarterback named David Foster that went to SMU and played football for a year or two for Hayden, but ended up finishing his career there playing baseball. Well, our fullback went to Texas. We had a couple of linemen that went to Texas a year later. I think it was about eight or nine of us that went somewhere. University of Houston, Stephen F. Austin, Lamar. My options were like Louisiana Tech, Lamar, Stephen F. Austin, McNeese, that level. Slocum takes us along with him on his recruiting trip to McNeese State in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and tells us why he chose the school. I had relatives in Louisiana. I had an aunt in Lake Charles. And the big thing, though, I went and I was so impressed with the coaches again. A guy named Les Duvall was the head coach and was just a prince of a guy. When I met him and my father met him, my dad says, you know, I, I like that guy, you know. And I said, well, I do too. And he said, well, you ought to, you ought to go back in and tell him you want to come. At that time, they could only take six out-of-state players. And they already had a couple there. I went back in and told him, I said, I won't accept that scholarship and come. And it was one of the best decisions. They treated me really well. I had a good career there. Coach is being modest when he said he had a good career at McNeese State. He's in the McNeese State Hall of Fame and was recently named to the school's 75th year anniversary team as a tight end. At one point in time, R.C. Slocum held every single school receiving record and he says he would have loved to have played in today's wide-open passing schemes. The McNeese State Cowboys played teams like Louisiana Tech and Lamar, and they also sometimes played military-based teams. 
Slocum and his teammates lined up against a Pensacola Naval Base team that featured a pretty good quarterback. His name was Roger Staubach. Roger had played at the Naval Academy and had a great career, and he had a service obligation. He was stationed at Pensacola. They called themselves the Goshawks. So the first year we played at Pensacola, and we actually stayed on the base there in barracks. <laughs> and uh, we played down there, and then the next year they came to Lake Charles to play. I remember he was a great player then. I mean, we all, of course, already knew about him. And I remember Roger running all over the field. <laughs> I remember him being a very elusive guy. And over the years, he and I are friends. Uh, we've talked about that game and, uh, and the, you know his playing there at Pensacola. Uh, great guy, great uh had a, obviously a great pro career with the Cowboys, but more importantly, just a, a great man. Roger on several occasions spoke at our team devotional on game day and just really have the highest regard for him. If you're a longtime Texas A&M fan, you can probably guess that R.C. Slocum is a hardworking guy. And you'd be right. Coach tells us about his rigorous classwork and working to save money over the summers while in college. I started off as a freshman, I redshirted, but I always took a full load. You know, I, I never had a semester that I didn't take at least 18 hours because I had to work in the summer. I needed, I didn't have any money. I needed to work. So I worked in shipyard one summer and I worked in the chemical refineries uh, the rest of the time. Every summer, the day we'd get out of school or finish finals, and I'd be, I'd be going to work. And a lot of guys did that back then, and I think it was a great experience to get out in the real world and go have a real job. Working as a student teacher was part of his educational requirements. Slocum filled those requirements at Lake Charles High School. It was there that Coach Slocum got his first coaching job, although it came with a quick timeline to get started. Late August or middle of August or something, I got a call from the head coach, John Emmons. Johnny called and said, look, I got an opening here for a coach, and you're my first choice. I want to hire you, but I got to know something in a hurry because we've already started football. That was on Friday morning, so I told him that afternoon that I would do it. I was living in married college housing at that time, so I spent Saturday looking at rent houses, and I got a house and moved on Sunday and then went to work on Monday coaching. Coach Slocum also had a few friends working in college football. He got offered a job at Kansas State through one of those connections. Turns out that he had two opportunities at the same time. So I went in to tell my principal, Lake Charles High, a wonderful guy named John Nicosia, that I was leaving. I was going to go to Kansas State as a graduate assistant. He said, well, Coach, I haven't told anyone this, but the new high school here, I'm going out there as the principal. And I had you pencil in. I was going to take you with me as the first head coach. And so here I am. I've been coaching two years now, and I love the principal. He was a great guy, and he, he's telling me he's going to take me with him as the head coach. And it was very flattering, and there was some interest there, but my goal really was to get into college coaching. And I said, you know, if I can get a chance right now to be a head coach, and I, I can always come back and do this. So I told him how much I appreciated that, but I was going to go ahead and, and chase my dream. So I loaded everything I had in the U-Haul truck and headed to Manhattan, Kansas. He says it was a great time to be at Kansas State, and he was again surrounded by some really good coaches, including head coach Vince Gibson. They also had some pretty good players. Future Houston Oilers draft pick Lynn Dickey was on the team, as was future Dallas Cowboys running back Mike Montgomery. 
The Wildcats played Oklahoma and Norman just a couple of weeks after the Sooners started running the wishbone offense. K-State upset an OU team with Jack Mildren and Greg Pruitt. Kansas State head coach Vince Gibson had found a way to beat the wishbone offense, at least temporarily. That spring, I went to visit Arkansas with Frank Bowles. One of our coaches, Jesse Branch, had played for Frank at Arkansas. So we went over to visit him in spring training. And he had just been over to visit Oklahoma. And, <laughs> uh, of course, Barry had played for him. So he went over and they just put on this load play. And so Frank said, look, you go back, y'all tell Vince. He said, I watched your film over there. They got this new play. If y'all run the same defense you ran last year against them, they'll score 100 points on you. Kansas State head coach Vince Gibson didn't heed the advice and ran the same defense against Oklahoma the next year. The final score of that game was 75-28. to Not quite 100 points, but not too far off. And speaking of the wishbone, that brings us to the next part of Coach Slocum's career, working at Texas A&M for Emery Ballard, the man often called the father of the wishbone. The way R.C. Slocum got a job on Ballard's staff is a lesson for all of us in going to great lengths to create an opportunity. After his second season at Kansas State, Slocum went back to Orange, Texas to celebrate Christmas with his parents. One of the coaches from his high school days, a man named Ben Hurt, was now working as an assistant at the University of Houston. Houston earned a matchup against Colorado in the Blue Bonnet Bowl that year, and Slocum decided to pay Coach Hurt a visit. I went over there to visit him and just to watch them practice and again trying to network a little bit and trying to learn some football. And so I go over there and lunch that day, he gets me off the side and he said, look, you can't tell anyone this, but Aaron Ballard has got the head job at A&M, he's going there. It hasn't been announced yet, but he, he's going to go there. And, and Melvin Robertson, who was the defensive coordinator at Houston, said, Melvin and I are going with him. I said, oh, God, man, I'd love to go with you guys. And he said, well, you know, call up there, you know, use us for a reference. It wasn't any secret that Ballard might get a head coaching job soon. So before this, Slocum had coincidentally sent him an introductory letter. But Slocum knew there was likely no chance he'd get Ballard on the phone to discuss a possible job. So Slocum drove three hours from Orange to College Station to get to Coach Ballard's new offices at the G. Raleigh White Coliseum on Ballard's first day. I went to G. Raleigh White, uh, which was where the offices were, and I was sitting there out front and uh, just standing, actually, and a lady comes there, and she's got the keys open the door, and she says, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm here. I'm here to see Coach Ballard. She says, is he expecting you? And I said, well, not really, no. She says, do you know him? <laughs> I said, well, no, <laughs> not really. But I said, I'm here, uh, Coach at Kansas State. I'm here, and I wanted to just talk to him for a minute. I'd sent him a letter, and she said, well, you know, today's not a good day. It's his first day on the job. He's interviewing staff here. He's got people coming in. He's got some interviews. And, and I said, well, you know, I know all that, but I've driven all the way from Orange up here to, just to get a chance to say hello to him. If you can just let me do that. Slocum took a seat on a sofa. A secretary offered him some coffee. 8 a.m. came. 9 a.m. came. 10 a.m. came, and Slocum waited. Around noon, somebody told him he could get lunch across the street. But Slocum didn't want to miss a possible chance to meet with Coach Ballard, who had come in through a back door earlier that morning. So I'm going to say about 1.30 or quarter to 2, 
his assistant came out and she said, Coach Ballard knows that you've been here all day. And he's got at 4 o'clock, he's got just a little short window. And if you want to wait till then, he said he'll see you, but just for a minute, because he's got I said, okay, that's great. <laughs> so at 4 o'clock, I went in, and I told him all the reasons why I thought he should hire me. He said, I'll tell you what, I will let you know, because I'm not sure what I'm doing with my staff and you know which way I'm going to go and all that. But he said, I will call you before Christmas and let you know one way or the other. So that's great, Coach. Thanks, you. <laughs> so anyway. I, I went out of there. I really, I just had a good feeling about it. So Christmas Eve, 1971, he called me and uh, offered me a job. He said, you know, the Cotton Bowl game was on January the 1st. And so he said, we'll report on January the 2nd. And uh, so January 2nd, 1972 was my first day at a So a three-hour drive started before daybreak. And a patient days-long wait for a short meeting led to Coach Slocum getting a job in his home state at Texas A&M. If he'd have just tried to call, he almost surely wouldn't have gotten through. If he'd have given up and gone home instead of waiting, he would have missed his chance. Instead, he secured a job on the Texas A&M coaching staff. And what would R.C. Slocum's career have been without that kind of tenacity? And could you imagine Texas A&M football history? if he hadn't gone through such great lengths to work there? When we return, we'll discuss Coach R.C. Slogan's illustrious career at Texas A&M on In the Locker Room with R.C. Slogan on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by the Tampa Suites, Waco Northeast. If you've enjoyed listening today, please visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco. The museum tells the stories of the greatest athletes and coaches in Texas history by using objects from its collection, which numbers over 15,000. And when you come to Waco, be sure and stay at the Town Place Suites Waco Northeast location, located just eight minutes from the museum on I-35. Town Place Suites by Marriott is an extended day hotel where you can balance work and life as you like with the comfort, flexibility, and affordability you require. Relax and feel at home with a fully equipped kitchen and high-speed internet access. So be sure and book your stay at the Town Place Waco Northeast at one of their 85 brand new suites and enjoy their complimentary breakfast and parking. Welcome back to In the Locker Room with R.C. Slocum on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by the Tampa Suites, Waco Northeast. R.C. Slocum started as an offensive assistant at Texas A&M under Emory Ballard. Slocum originally worked with receivers. Of course, the Aggies weren't throwing the ball much in Ballard's wishbone offense. I used to joke about being the stalk block coach because a big part of that offense, the wide receiver has to be a blocker, has to be able to go downfield and block the defensive back. So I spent a whole lot of time teaching the stalk block. <laughs> and, uh, but it's great. I'd sit in the meetings the way we operated. Emory functioned as an offensive coordinator. So I would sit in the meetings with him every day. And it was a tremendous education. Here's a guy that invented the wishbone offense. And I sat in offensive meetings 
all day long with them. Our typical day would start, we'd go in the offensive meeting, we may or may not break for lunch. We'd stay right up to practice time meeting all day long, every day, and going through you know, game planning, the whole thing. So it was really a crash course for me in option football, which later would serve me well. If you're an Aggie fan or know Coach Slocum's history, you probably associate him with defense. He tells us how he got started on the defensive side of the ball in his second year at Texas A&M under the tutelage of defensive coordinator Melvin Robertson. Melvin Robertson was a brilliant defensive coach, and he told Emory he'd like to have me on defense, and uh, I, I told him I'd like to do that. I said, you know, it's a great chance. I've had a great education here doing this. I'm happy doing what I'm doing, but it would be a great education for me to move over there and do that. So... He kind of reluctantly uh, moved me to defense, and it was the best thing that could ever happen to me because I work for a guy uh, to this day. I'd say of all the coaches I ever met, was ever around, ever worked with, worked for me or whatever, uh, he'd be right at the top of the list as one of the real brilliant minds. He was ahead of his time, and uh, he'd been with Bum Phillips in high school, and then he and Bum were together at University of Houston. When Bum left Houston, Melvin took his place there. You know, I was learning things as a young coach that I thought, you know, this is just the way you do it. But later I found out he was far ahead of most people. The Aggies soon owned one of the best defenses in the nation for several years running. The defense included players like Pat Thomas, Tank Marshall, Ed Simonini, Robert Jackson, and Lester Hayes. Texas A&M owned the nation's top-ranked defense in 1975 and made a national title run in winning their first 10 games. To give you an idea of how good the Texas A&M defense was during the mid-70s, in the 1975, 1976, and 1977 NFL drafts, NFL teams drafted 12 A&M defensive players. 12 defensive players drafted into the NFL during those three years. I asked Coach Slocum what he learned from defensive coordinator Melvin Robertson and what he thought made that defense great. Well, I'll give you a couple things. Number one, we worked really hard. Our practice you know, had a great tempo. You know, we created an atmosphere, and I give him the credit for doing it, and we just kind of followed along and watched his lead. But we didn't jerk our guys around. We didn't curse them. We, you know, we made practice fun. You know, we our guys took pride in being good and practicing. We said, you know, if we're going to play hard in the games, we're going to learn how to practice it with tempo. And so just from the culture he created, playing hard and pressuring offenses, the pressure style of defense of saying, we're not going to sit back and try to react to everything the offense is doing. They better be worried about reacting to what we're doing because we're coming after them. And so we played a lot of man coverage. We had a lot of blitzing. And so that philosophically uh, influenced me and remained a part of my coaching for as long as I coached. You might guess, with the kind of defense the Aggies had, Coach Slocum popped up on other schools' radar screens. And he was an ambitious young coach who wanted to be a head coach. Still, Slocum felt a tremendous bond with A&M. He turned down an offer from Lou Holtz at Arkansas. He accepted an offer from Mississippi, but after only one day... He felt the tug of Texas A&M on his heartstrings, and Coach Ballard welcomed him back with open arms. Ballard eventually resigned midway through the 1978 season, and Slocum was elevated to defensive coordinator in 1979 
under new head coach Tom Wilson. Finally, however, Slocum got a job offer he couldn't refuse as defensive coordinator for USC under coach John Robinson for the 1981 season. Coach Slocum tells us he had been on USC's radar for a long time, dating back to the USC A&M Blue Bonnet Bowl matchup after the 1977 season. And after that bowl game, he sent his defensive staff to A&M. He was so impressed with the way we played defense, he sent his defensive staff down there to visit us. And then after the 80 season, his defensive coordinator left. So he, he called and asked me if I'd come out and interview. So I went out there and we just, it just clicked. He and I hit it off. We went and had dinner together and talked football and everything. So before that evening was over, he offered me the job. And I accepted the job. Slocum joined a staff with many future NFL assistants, including North Turner. Slocum served as defensive coordinator, and the Trojans led the Pac-10 in defense. His players included two future All-Pros in the NFL, Chip Banks and Joey Browner. Coach Slocum also helped recruit a linebacker who later played for the Dallas Cowboys and worked as an NFL head coach, Jack Del Rio. Uh, it was around Christmas or just before Christmas when I took the job. And so John said, we've got to get some linebackers. We've had great linebackers, but we've graduated some guys, and, and there's, we we got to bring in some. And we've got two or three guys that we're on. I actually watched Jack play basketball, but Jack was the guard. He brought the ball down the court. And I said, man, that tells me something right here about this guy. Jack came in and, and just, I mean, he started the first game of his freshman year. We had a really good team that year, but Jack was a, he was a starting inside linebacker all year as a true freshman. He says the experience working for John Robinson and at USC was fantastic. The Trojans made the Fiesta Bowl that year and were even ranked number one for a few weeks. Not to mention, there were a couple of future NFL legends on that team. Marcus Allen and Houston Oilers great Bruce Matthews. After that season ended, however, Slocum got a surprise call from a coach who had just led the Pitt Panthers to three consecutive 11-1 seasons with a kid named Dan Marino playing quarterback. The coach's name was Jackie Sherrill, and he'd just been offered the head coaching job at Texas A&M. We were having a recruiting weekend, and uh, I got a call from Jackie Sherrill, and he was debating whether or not to take the A&M job. He called me on a Saturday night, tracked me down in Los Angeles. I was at a dinner at a restaurant. First of all, he said, can you win at A&M? I said, yeah, I think A&M's a great job. And he said, would you consider coming back? I said, yeah, well, let me think about it. He said, well, don't think long, because i got to tell these people something in the morning. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll call you back in the morning. So I, I just, being a Texan at heart, and I was fighting those freeways out there in L.A., and I said, man, I, I won't go back. And so, again... Somewhere along the line, I think I was getting some divine leadership in a lot of those decisions I made. Coach shared that at USC, the staff often spent Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday nights in a hotel rather than spending a ton of time fighting traffic back and forth to work. In College Station at that time, it took him about seven or eight minutes to get to the team's facilities. He still considers his year at USC as one of the best experiences he could have hoped for, and he keeps in touch with the players and remains close with John Robinson. But the Texan from Orange returned home to Texas. He says he can vividly remember returning to the A&M campus. Well, I remember flying back into College Station, 
and from the airport, which is on university property, from the airport to the stadium there, there was a white rail fence leading out of the airport, leading up there, and there were some cows out in the pasture, and I said, man, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. Jackie Sherrill came in with heavy expectations after his success at Pitt. Slocum talks about those first couple of years under Sherrill as the Aggies hovered around the 500 mark. That first couple of years, it was really tough, you know, because here, here's a guy came in with high expectations and a lot of hoopla, and all of a sudden we weren't doing much. And I, I'll say this, we, Jackie and I got pretty close during that period of time because I stayed hitched up, and I, I think I was a good, loyal soldier to him, and we just said, hey, we, we, we knew we were getting better. We had good young players, you know, like Johnny Holland and Todd Howard and a bunch of those guys, and so we just got to gotta stay, stay, stay hitched up. 1984 was Jackie Sherrill's third year as head coach at Texas A&M. The Aggies lost four of their first five Southwest Conference games before a game against Arkansas. Coach Slocum said that game was both a low point and ultimately a turning point as one player set an inspiring example. We went up to play Arkansas on a cold, miserable day. It was sleeting and just, and I think we turned the ball over eight times that day on offense, and they beat us, I think, 28 to nothing. And then we had to ride the bus back to Joplin to get over there. It was just miserable. During the game, you know, when things were going downhill there in the second half, it was bitter cold. I was sleep falling. And we had these big capes, all weather capes. And man, a lot of those guys had those capes pulled out over their faces. And to be honest, I don't think they really wanted to get in that game. <laughs> they wanted to stay there with that cape on and get out of there. And there was one guy that was out there with a short sleeve jersey on. Ray Childers was grabbing people and throwing people and playing. If you watch that tape, from the first play to the last play, there was no change in his intensity. So the next day, I ran that tape, and I said, I want you guys to look at this. I said, some of you didn't even want to get in the game, but I want to show you what it's all about. This guy right here, look at him and the way he's playing. That was kind of the, the turning point, I think, for us on defense. The Aggies were 1-5 in five in Southwest Conference play at that point, and they had two games left on their schedule both against ranked teams. But with their three non-conference wins at the beginning of the season, they still had a chance to finish above 500 overall. So the team had a choice. Close shop and sack it in for the rest of the season or fight hard. We play TCU. If they win, they go to the Cotton Bowl. TCU had a really good team. We played them in College Station. We beat them. The next week, we go to Austin and we beat Texas pretty handily. And that was 84. Enter 1985. Ray Childress was drafted by the Houston Oilers with the third overall pick in the NFL draft, but the intensity stayed with the AM defense. And the Jackie Sherrill era started to fulfill its promise. The Aggies played a rugged schedule in 1985. They faced five ranked teams in the regular season, including four in Southwest Conference play. AM went 9 and 2 in the regular season, and more importantly, won their first Southwest Conference championship in 18 years. A 42-10 win over Texas at Kyle Field on the last game of the regular season made it that much sweeter. Texas A&M made their first Cotton Bowl appearance since the 68 Cotton Bowl victory over Alabama. And you can hear 
more about that 1967 season and Cotton Bowl victory in the Gene Stallings episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. In the 1986 Cotton Bowl, the Aggies faced the Auburn Tigers. Auburn featured Heisman Trophy winner Bo Jackson, recognized as one of the greatest college football running backs to come along in a long time. Jackson averaged over 160 yards per game. The Aggie defense was ready. Early in the fourth quarter, Texas A&M's 21-16 lead was in peril after Auburn gained a first and goal on the Aggie six-yard line. A&M's swarming defenders stopped Bo Jackson on four consecutive running plays near the goal line, and the Aggies later took command and scored two fourth-quarter touchdowns and a two-point conversion to win 36-16. And that was only the beginning. Texas A&M won the Southwest Conference again in 1986 and for a third straight time in 1987. In the 1987 regular season finale, the Aggies earned their Cotton Bowl berth in a memorable final game of the season against Texas when freshman backup quarterback Bucky Richardson ran for the winning touchdown after he replaced injured starting quarterback Craig Stump in the fourth quarter. During that year's Cotton Bowl, the Aggie defense locked up another Heisman Trophy winner for the second time in three years. This time it was Notre Dame's Tim Brown, formerly a student at Woodrow Wilson High School in Dallas. Texas A&M won their second Cotton Bowl in three years, 35-10. During that period of time, the famous nickname for the Texas A&M defense, the Wrecking Crew, came about. Coach Slocum gives us the background. Chet Brooks, at one point in there, made the comment with some guys about, you know, we just like a bunch of blue-collar workers, man. We take our lunch pail, we go to work, and we wreck stuff. They kind of caught on a, on a very, very low level initially. And then we started joking about it and talking about it. And then at one point there, I told our coaches, I said, you know, we've got something special kind of growing right here. And I said, let's do this. From now on, when you talk about our defense or you're doing an interview about our defense, just say, hey, the wrecking crew. And so we, we kind of gave it a little boost there, and it caught on. And then we, we had our fans had a little sign for the wrecking crew, and they'd, you know, the whole stadium be hollering, wrecking crew, wrecking crew. <laughs> so... Kids really bought into that. Then in recruiting, I'd go into homes and, you know, the guys said, Coach, I want, I want to be a part of the wrecking crew. Chet Brooks later went on to play for the San Francisco 49ers and started in Super Bowl Twenty Four. Coach Slocum gives a lot of credit to the players on those wrecking crew defenses, both when he was a defensive coordinator and head coach. He fills us in on some of the philosophy behind the wrecking crew defense. We were reckless, and we were going to go after people, you know, and the kids bought into that, and they made it happen. And I told them, when we call one of these blitzes, it's kind of like pulling the pin out of a hand grenade, and we're going to pull it, and it's either going to go off on our side or their side of the line of scrimmage, and we got to make sure it goes off over their side. Your buddies hung out out there playing man-to-man coverage, and you guys that are blitzing, you've got to get there. Coach also said, that just like the A&M teams in the mid-1970s, the players gave all they had for the team and for each other, from the starting lineup on down the depth chart. Giving your best effort to help the team was the order of the day. Back in the days with the Seminators and Tim Aples and Pat Thomas and all those guys, we were really good on defense. The one thing we did, we played really hard. 
And so later on, as, as I became a coordinator and everything, the one thing we talked about a lot, and, and it's you or anybody on their jobs today, or whoever, the one thing you can do that everybody can do is give great effort. You may not be as smart as the next guy, or may not be as big or as fast or whatever, but the one thing you can do is you can give maximum effort. That's something everybody can do. And if you play on our defense, that's something you're going to do or you're not going to be out there. And so we made a huge deal about effort and playing hard. And, you know, there were occasions early on there where I maybe I'd have a guy that was on the other side of the field was making a run, and I'd have one on the, on the opposite side, one of our guys that wasn't just busting his tail to get over there. And I'd run it back in front of all his buddies. and say, well, what's the deal, man? You got all your buddies here busting their tails to make the stop to keep from giving up a big play, and you look like you're jogging. Well, what's the deal? I'd turn off the projector. Tell, tell your friends. Tell your buddies here. I mean, that didn't have to happen many times. They bought in. The, they were tied, inextricably tied to each other. Our success was dependent upon each other in each guy given maximum effort. Head coach Jackie Sherrill promoted R.C. Slocum to assistant head coach during that run of three straight conference championships. The title run ended during a 1988 season filled with adversity. On the field, the team lost its first three games, finished with a 7-5 record, and didn't make a bowl game. Off the field, the NCAA placed the program on probation in September during a stretch when most Southwest Conference programs found themselves being investigated and sanctioned. Jackie Sherrill resigned as head coach after the 1988 season ended. Texas A&M hired R.C. Slocum as head coach. The move fulfilled Coach Slocum's dream of becoming a head coach of a major college football program. He says that he was surprised that it happened at A&M and that when he arrived as Jackie Sherrill's defensive coordinator, he expected to eventually become head coach at another school. When I came back to A&M, I didn't come back with the thought that I would be the head coach at A&M. I thought that you could win at A&M, and I thought we'd get a lot of credit for taking a program to another level, and that there would be opportunities for me. Coach added that if he had stayed at USC with John Robinson, he likely would have had an opportunity in the NFL, like many of his staff mates did, and or he would have been offered a job at larger schools out west. When he returned to A&M to work under Jackie Sherrill, he thought it would eventually help him land a head coaching job closer to where he grew up. But again, he didn't think it would actually be Texas A&M. I mean, A&M, I, I never, throughout that whole period of time, that never crossed my mind. You know, and then in 85, Jackie made me the assistant head coach which was another positive thing for me getting a head job somewhere. Uh, I would say this, that uh, Jackie, uh, as far as I know, supported me uh, when that change was going to be made. I, uh, you know, I don't know the particulars of how everything went about, but the president of A&M at that time was a guy named Bill Mobley. He called me one Sunday afternoon and asked me when I'd come over and visit with him, and so... I had a, what I thought was a good visit with him in his house. The next day around noon, they called me over and said, you're going to be the head coach. Slocum led Texas A&M to an 8-4 and record in his first season as head coach in 1989. The team appeared in the Sun Bowl, at that time called the John Hancock Bowl, and also finished ranked in the AP Top 25. It was the 1990s, however, that brought Coach Slocum his biggest success as a head coach. 
His teams dominated the Southwest Conference, and Kyle Field became virtually impossible to win at if he weren't wearing a Texas A&M jersey on Saturday. The Aggies lost at home to Arkansas by one point in November of 1989, and then won every single home game after that until December of 1995. The Aggies went four consecutive seasons without losing in Southwest Conference play and won three consecutive Southwest Conference championships. We went undefeated in conference play for one season, went undefeated, didn't lose a conference game. And so I said, man, that felt pretty good. That was good. But to go back and do it a second time, that's harder. But we did. We went back and went a second year. And then a third year. I think in 93, Texas had the record. They had won 21 Southwest Conference games without a loss, and that was the record. So we played them in College Station to break that record and to win the championship, and we did. We beat them, and that made our 22nd straight win. So we actually went 28 games. And I had one class of guys that never lost a Southwest Conference game. But each year it got harder because you get everybody's best shot every year. But at the same time, you know, we got some confidence going, and I, I give credit. Our 12th man, the student body, was so awesome during that period of time. We had a very imposing place there at home. The Southwest Conference folded soon after Texas A&M's four seasons of dominance. Several of the teams, including Texas A&M, entered the new Big 12 Conference in 1996. A&M's record slowed to 6-6 six six overall in that inaugural Big 12 season, but Slocum points out that that doesn't reflect the team's competitiveness. Furthermore, it wasn't long before the Aggies found themselves back at the top of the standings. Well, the first year uh, in 96, you know, we got caught in a deal where we were kind of in between classes or whatever, we lost a couple close games. I remember a Kansas State game we played. It was very close and we could have easily won. So we ended up that year, we were 6-6. Six and six. But, you know, we were, we were in all the games. You know, it wasn't, uh, you know, it was one of those deals where that season could have been, with just a little bit, could have been a lot better. That was our first year. Next year, we come back. Our second year in the Big 12, we win the Big 12 South, our second year in the league. Tom Osborne's Nebraska Cornhuskers defeated A&M in the Big 12 championship and then thrashed Peyton Manning and Tennessee in the Orange Bowl to win a share of the national championship. Coach Slocum rallied A&M back to climb the mountain again in 1998, and the Aggies won the Big 12 South for the second year in a row and once again had to play the Big 12 championship game against a team contending for the national championship. This time, it was undefeated Kansas State. Texas A&M had a chance to go to the Sugar Bowl with an upset victory, and Kansas State looked towards a berth in the first-ever BCS National Championship game. In the second quarter, the Wildcats jumped out to a 17-3 lead after a 66-yard touchdown pass. Things looked bleak for Texas A&M when they trailed 17-6 at halftime, but Coach Slocum never wavered at halftime we were we were way down you know but our guys were playing hard we had just had no breaks you know so at halftime i tried to be very positive with them and I, I didn't take a whole lot of time talking to them but i said you know you guys are playing hard we've had no breaks 
I'll tell you this. If you keep playing like you're playing, just keep playing hard, we're going to get some breaks. The Aggies pulled to within five at 17-12 in the third quarter after linebacker Dat Wynn's interception set up a 57-yard scoring drive. But Kansas State and star quarterback Michael Bishop wouldn't back down. Bishop countered and scored on a quarterback draw. He ended up having over 100 yards rushing and over 340 yards passing on the evening. With just over 10 minutes left in the game, Kansas State led 27-12, a 15-point lead, and AM entered the game as 15-point underdogs. But AM soon battled back with the touchdown to make it 27-19. The Aggies drove downfield again, but Kansas State forced a turnover on downs with just over three minutes left. The Wildcats worked on a game-ending drive. Michael Bishop burst fourth on third down and picked up first down yardage near midfield. But as Bishop ran for extra yardage, the Wrecking Crew defense forced a fumble and AM recovered with two and a half minutes left. And you might remember what Coach Slocum said at halftime. Keep playing hard and the breaks will come. That turnover was a huge break for the defense that kept fighting. Brandon Stewart followed that up with a 36-yard pass play and then a 9-yard touchdown to Sir Parker. Parker then caught a 2-point conversion and the game was tied at 27 with 1 minute left. Kansas State was not finished, however. Bishop launched a 54-yard Hail Mary as the clock ticked off the final seconds. And it was complete. Caught at the 2-yard line. The Wrecking Crew defense smothered the receiver short of the goal line, and the game went into overtime. The teams traded field goals in the first overtime, and Kansas State added another field goal in the second overtime to take a 33-30 lead. And then the Texas A&M offense shifted into reverse. They lost seven yards in two plays and faced a third down and 17 on the Kansas State 32. But running back Sir Parker caught the ball in the flat, cut inside, and then angled toward the outside and raced towards the end zone. He was hit inside the five-yard line, but extended the ball just enough to get it over the goal line for the winning touchdown. They were playing some man coverage down there, so we sent a guy in motion, and the quarterback knew as soon as we did, we could tell that they were man. We had Sir 101 out there, and it was a good call. Steve Craigthorpe made the call. They did what we thought they would do, and we had a good call for that defense. After the game, Parker joked that he was five foot eleven, but on that play, he was six feet stretching towards the goal line. The play exemplified the maximum effort that characterized the team and Coach Slocum's coaching philosophy. The victory gave Texas A&M its first ever Big 12 championship. It lifted them into the Sugar Bowl, and it knocked a conference rival out of national title contention. After the end of the third quarter, Aggie quarterback Brandon Stewart threw for 235 yards and three touchdowns. It was a gutsy performance from a quarterback who found out that he would start only three days before the game. And it was a courageous victory for a team that worked hard and worked together. That was a fun game, and it's a credit to a bunch of guys that played together. One of the things that I did after that game, they brought in a big bowl trophy. The guys with the, the championship brought it in the locker room. So I got everybody, I said, you guys get in here. I want y'all to hold this thing up. I want everybody to get a hand up here on this thing. So 
I got as many hands as I could get on there. And so when I looked it up there, I had some black hands, and I had some hands that weren't quite as black, and then I had some white hands, and then I had some Vietnamese hands. That Nguyen had his hand in there. And then I had some Tongan hands. Some Isihamuli had his hands in there. So I told him, I said, I want you all to look at this and remember this. This is what happens when you get a bunch of guys from all different backgrounds that are willing to work together for a common cause and pull for each other. This is what, this is how you win championships right here. Coach Slocum adds that the unity his team showed can apply outside the game of football. And this past year, I was in New York, and ESPN was doing a deal on the 150th anniversary of college football. I told that story. And it, in my quote to them, I said, this is what we need more in our country right now. We need those black hands and white hands and Vietnamese hands and Hispanic hands and all those hands need to be working together and pulling together for the common good of each other. We're pulling for each other. We'll all achieve. We, we always talked in coaching. The word team to me was an acronym for together each achieves more. If we'll all just pull together, then we all benefit from it. They don't come and take one guy to the bowl game or one guy doesn't win the championship. They either come get all of you or they leave you all at home. Coach Slogan is honored to be in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, and he credits his players and coaches for helping him get in. You know, I get Texas football. Dave Campbell is a dear friend of mine and someone I have so much respect for. And I'd get that magazine when I was in high school. And it came out, started when I was in high school. And, man, I'd read every page of that magazine. I'd read about guys all over Texas. And so sports in this state's meant so much to me. I coached in the A&M Texas game 30 times, which is more than anybody in history on either side. And I grew up watching that game. And Never had any idea that I'd be involved in someday. So having grown up in Orange, Texas with the background, I told you, and how big sports was in my life as a kid coming up and watching those great Southwest Conference games and the great players and great coaches. And to be a member of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, that is very, very meaningful to me. And I wish I had been a great player. But uh, I'm in there because of the talents of a, a bunch of great young men that I was fortunate to coach and a great bunch of coaches that worked with me. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. In the Locker Room with R.C. Slocum. Presented by the Tampa Suites, Waco Northeast. Come visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco. And when you do, book your stay at the Town Place Suites, Waco Northeast. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.